Well, good morning. My name's Carmen. I'm one of the staff members here. And I have to say that my day started out pretty well today because I did not get a vacuum cleaner for Mother's Day. My kids and my husband spoke my love language today. And I got not one, but two gift certificates for an hour-long massage with Heidi Jacobs, amazing probably the best massage therapist in the world. Um, So I'm quite excited about that. I have to say I am absolutely a fan of that gift that they gave me today, which is in contrast to the the name of our series that we're um, ending today called Not a Fan. And through these past few weeks, um, I hope that you've been challenged and encouraged and um, really kind of pushed a little bit further in your relationship with Jesus. And I know that I have. There's been so much good stuff for me to wrestle with through this series. And so today is the message that kind of culminates all that we have um, been learning the last several weeks. And so as we get started today, I want to kind of give you a little sum up of where we have been, a little recap so that those of you that maybe weren't here for all of the messages in this series kind of know this journey that we have been able to go on together through this Not a Fan series. And if you remember, we started this series back in Easter Sunday, where Pastor Joel talked to us under the big tent about defining our relationship with Jesus. And that day we talked about this continuum of where we are on that spectrum of being a fan or a follower of Jesus. And we talked about how one of the end of the spectrum is just kind of being a casual fan of Jesus, where you kind of sit on the sidelines, you cheer Jesus on, you think it's a good idea, you kind of want to be close to the game, but you're not ready to get in the game. You're not really fully living out your relationship with Jesus. But then on the other end of this continuum, of this spectrum, is a completely committed follower of Jesus. Someone who says, you know what, I am fully and completely in. I'm going to put skin in this game. I want to play on the field. I'm going to do whatever the coach says. I'm all the way in. And the important question that we talked about today is not necessarily pinpointing exactly where you are on that continuum, but which direction you're headed. Are you headed toward fandom, or are you headed toward being a completely committed follower? And then the next week, we talked about the open invitation and how Jesus invites each and every one of us to follow him. The invitation is open to everyone, but it does come at a cost. And that that invitation requires us to follow so closely behind Jesus that we get covered in his dust. And we ask the question, are you covered in the dust of your rabbi? Or whose dust am I covered in? If I'm not covered in the dust of my rabbi, what dust, what am I following so closely behind that um, I'm getting covered in that dust? And that was our critical question that day. Then the next week we talked about choosing intimacy. And the question we asked that day was, how close am I willing to get? Do I want to settle just for like head knowledge, learning about God and who he is and maybe learning all the theology of it? Or do I want to really engage in a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? Do I want to keep God at a distance just on the knowledge level? Or am I willing to take that knowledge and let it transform who I am inside and develop into this personal relationship with Jesus? Then the week after that, we talked about the comfortable cross, and we talked about how God has this amazing way of taking this symbol of death and of weakness and transforming it into an amazing symbol of power and of grace and extravagant love. And so we talked that day about how God can do that same thing inside of us. What are the things inside of me, the weaknesses inside of me that can be a place that God transforms me 
to allow his strength to shine through me, that my weaknesses are transformed into a strength where other people can see his work in and through my life. And then just last week, we talked about more than rules. And the question we asked ourselves last week is, are we following the rules or are we following Jesus? Is our relationship just about getting all the right activities in the right places in the right times and making it kind of look good on the outside? Or are we really choosing to engage in this extravagant, intimate relationship that's full of love and grace with God? And then that brings us to this week when we're talking about, is Jesus enough? For all of these things that we talked about the last however many weeks, five weeks, is Jesus enough? enough. Because if I am going to engage in following Jesus, I need to be convinced that he's enough. In other words, is he worth it? If it's going to cost me a lot, I need to decide in my heart of hearts if I think Jesus is truly enough for me to be worth investing my life in all of this followership. Is Jesus going to be enough for me? And through the course of the message today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, one passage in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus extends this invitation to follow him to three different people. And each of these people needed to decide if the cost of following Jesus was worth it to them, if Jesus was going to be enough for them. So if you haven't already pulled your outlines out of your program guides, you can do that now. You can follow along with the scriptures in there, or you can flip your Bibles open if you have them today to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at Luke 9, 57 to 62, and this is what it says there. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but I, the son of man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. He said to another person, come be my disciple. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus replied, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And all three of these stories, all three of these people illustrate the fact that it's not difficult to want to follow Jesus. It's not hard to say, yes, I want to go there with you. It's not difficult to believe that Jesus is a good idea. What Jesus tells us through this passage, what we learn through this passage, is that Jesus shows us in the way that he responds, that it is a lot more difficult to actually follow through on that commitment than it is to just believe it. It's a lot more difficult to actually go through with that commitment that we say, I want to follow you, than it is just to believe it in our minds that this is a good idea. And so that's the question we're going to be looking at today. Is it worth it? Is following Jesus worth what it's going to cost me? And Jesus is asking us today, am I enough for you. So that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit deeper this morning. The first part that we're going to talk about is the snapshot of this first guy. If I believe that Jesus is enough, I will follow him wherever he goes. That's your first blank there. I will follow him wherever he goes. Again, looking at this first guy's story, it says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but I, the son of man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my own head. 
So this guy comes up to Jesus, and he seems so passionate about this. Jesus, I am going to follow you wherever you go. And he's like ready to be all in. And you can't say that you blame him. This guy's on an emotional high, it sounds like. I am ready to go there with you. And when you look at what had happened previously in the book of Luke, it is a pretty amazing journey that had already unfolded in the life of Jesus. What this man would have either seen himself firsthand or possibly just heard about Jesus was just some pretty astounding stuff. At this point through the book of Luke, Jesus had healed so many people, people with incurable diseases that just couldn't be cured any other way, miraculous healings. He had raised a boy from the dead. He had cast out demons. He had fed the 5,000. He had just done all of this amazing stuff, not to mention the way that Jesus interacted with people was so different than the way anyone else had ever interacted with people before, especially a rabbi. And this was just something different about Jesus. So this guy is like all emotional and inspired about, I want to follow you. I will follow you wherever you go. I am all in. And what does Jesus respond to him? Seems a little odd to me, a little strange to me. Jesus looks at him and he says, essentially, do you you realize what you're saying? It's not going to be as easy as you think that it is. Because foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I'm homeless. So you say you want to follow me wherever I go, but what about there? Do you realize what it's going to cost you in order to follow me? And we can make a pretty good assumption that this man decided that he wasn't going to follow Jesus. And in my mind's eye, I can almost picture the scene unfolding where this guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus turning and kind of dropping this line on him. And I can almost picture him like stopping while the rest moved on. And I can almost see him stopping dead in his tracks and thinking, wow, there? Am I really ready to go there? And like I said, we don't hear from him again. So we can make an assumption that he decided that he wasn't quite ready to go that far. It was more an emotional commitment that he had made. I'll follow you wherever. But when it got to the specifics, he wasn't so sure. And I think maybe what happened is that this guy generally liked the idea of following Jesus. He wanted to be a part of this movement that Jesus was was creating in his culture that day. He wanted to, to be a friend of this man who was like no one else he had ever seen before. It all sounded so cool to be a part of that. He liked that idea, but when it came to actually taking the specific action of literally following Jesus wherever he went, he wasn't quite ready to go all in that way, to follow through on that kind of commitment. And sadly, I think the same is true of many of us still today. We generally like the idea. (laughs) We're really good at getting inspired. We're not so good always on the follow-through. You know, a few years ago, we got a um, puppy. His name is Wilson. We got him from a rescue, and so I took Wilson to puppy kindergarten um, so we could learn the basics of how to train this, this dog. 
And so I took him to puppy kindergarten, and while we were there, the instructor was all gung-ho about therapy dogs, like how you could train these puppies, and like this was just the first step, and you could train these animals to be therapy dogs, where you could take them into nursing homes and hospitals, and they were very therapeutic for people. And I was like so inspired by this idea that we were going to train this puppy to become a therapy dog. This was going to be awesome. I could just see me going with our kids, and we would visit these people, and we'd be able to be a help and an encouragement to people. And I was like all kinds of excited. Yes, we're going to make this puppy a therapy dog. But then what happened? The follow-through kind of waned a little bit. Then I realized, oh, this is going to require like a daily commitment. Like there's training that needs to happen to get the dog to become a therapy dog. General idea, I loved it, but was I willing to follow through on that specific commitment of what it took? Clearly, I was not because our dog is still sniffing people in inappropriate places when they come to visit. We are a far cry from a therapy dog. I liked the idea generally, but I wasn't ready to follow through specifically. And sadly, I think this principle applies in a a lot of areas in our lives. And I think it even applies to when we sit here in church on a Sunday morning sometimes. We hear words that inspire us or songs that really move us, and we say, yes, I'm going to follow you. We like this idea of being a part of it. But then what happens when we leave and we have to follow through on the specific actions that actually take us to that place? Are we ready to say, you are enough for me that I am going to commit to follow you wherever you go? And when we leave the doors of this church building on a Sunday morning, are we willing to follow Jesus wherever life takes us? And I have to ask myself the question that where is the one place that Jesus might point to and say, what about there? When I say, I'm willing to follow you wherever, where's that one place that Jesus might point to and say, what about there? What about in that place? Are you willing to follow me there, in your home, maybe? (laughs) Are you willing to be like me in your home? Are you willing to lay down your tendencies to be controlling or critical or demanding and follow me there so that you can extend grace and be a servant to your family? Are you willing to go there? In your home, are you willing to be a leader? (laughs) Are you willing to lay down your tendency to be passive or apathetic and step up and do what it takes in order to lead well, to put down the remote control, or to take a risk to do something that you never have done before in order to lead well in your home there? Are you willing to go there? Or what about in our school or in our workplace? When Jesus says, what about there? Are we willing to follow him there as well? Even when I feel the need to protect my income or my reputation or my image in that place, am I willing to say I'm going to follow you even in there? I'm going to be like you. I'm going to lay down my preferences. I'm going to lay down my fears to follow you there. Or maybe Jesus points to in our neighborhoods. What about there? You going to follow me there? even when it might feel a little awkward or uncomfortable to speak up about your faith, even when it might be inconvenient to serve your neighbor that way or go the extra mile for someone? Are you willing to do the specific action? Generally, you like the idea of following me. Are you going to do the specifics that it takes to get there? 
sometimes I think we're guilty of wishing that Jesus was more of a consultant than a leader. Consultant is someone whose advice we value. We go to them, we ask them what they think, they give us their opinion and their ideas, but at the end of the day, we get to decide which direction that we're going. We get to make the final call. But the problem is, when you look through the Bible, there's no place that Jesus says, let me just be your consultant. (laughs) Jesus says, no, follow me. I want to be your leader. I get to call the shots. So even there, when you say, I will follow you wherever, even there, are you going to really let me lead? Even there? And sometimes it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to give over that level of control to someone because we have this little fear that rises up in us, and it's usually in the form of what-if questions, right? What if? What if I follow you there, and it doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to, the way that I've had this all planned out? What if it doesn't work out that way? What if I follow you there and I feel a little bit foolish, or I feel like I haven't been as successful in life as what other people may define as success. What if I follow you there and I feel like my reputation goes south because of it? Or one of my fears sometimes is what if it costs me more than I'm willing to give? What if I follow you there and it requires more of me than what I'm willing to give? And when we're honest, those what-if fears are all driven by one thing. It's one belief that Jesus isn't going to be enough for me in that place. The heart of hearts, that's really the crux of the matter. When we're saying, I don't know if I can follow you there, it's because I don't know that I can believe that you're going to be enough that I can trust you in that place, that you can provide for me in that place, that you can weave something better out of this plan for my life if I follow you there. But you know, when I'm convinced that Jesus is enough, then I'm willing to follow him wherever he goes. And that's why it, it requires being convinced that Jesus is enough to truly be a follower. There's a great quote in this book called Not a Fan, which a lot of this series has been drawn from. And I need to give a quick little plug for this book because it is an awesome book. If you have not picked it up yet and read it, I really encourage you to pick it up and read it. It's available in the Resource Center. I think it's like eight bucks, and it's a great summer read. It's not difficult to read. It's just there's some entertaining part, but man, it's chock full of great challenges. So if you haven't picked it up yet, I encourage you to do so, and that's the end of my commercial for right now. But here's what it says. The most literal way to define a follower of Jesus is someone who goes where Jesus goes. I'm not sure you can call yourself a follower of Jesus if you refuse to go where Jesus went. Now, there's a little extra section, the dot, 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 that's in your program guide. I'm going to read that part here. If you're following Jesus wherever, he will take you towards a sinner that others wouldn't want to be seen with. You'll find yourself among the sick that others tried to avoid. If you follow Jesus, expect yourself to find yourself being criticized by some of the religious people in your life. If you follow Jesus, you may find that your family thinks you're crazy. His did. You may find yourself being unfairly accused and unjustly treated. Ultimately, if you follow Jesus wherever, you won't just end up covered in his dust. You're going to end up covered in his blood.
Am I willing to say, you are enough for me to follow you there? And the big question that I want you to consider today with this part of our outline today is where is the one place that you find it most difficult to follow Jesus? When Jesus says, what about there? What is that one place that you're like, oh, no, not there? And I don't want this just to be a hypothetical question that we gloss over today. I want you to really think about it. And so I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you are standing toe-to-toe with Jesus, face-to-face. And I want you to imagine that you're saying to him, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And then I want you to imagine Jesus' response if he says, what about there? What is that one place that Jesus is pointing to and saying, what about there? I want you to think about that for a minute. And when you think of something, I want you to write it down on your outline next to that question. What about there? Where is the one place that you find it most difficult to follow Jesus? All right, you can open your eyes if you haven't jotted it down yet. I want you to jot that down or at least consider, keep considering it to mull it over. I'll follow you wherever. What about there? It's the first snapshot that we're looking at this morning. The second snapshot that we want to look at from this Luke 9 passage is if I believe Jesus is enough, I will follow him whenever he calls. Whenever he calls. The second person, his little story is recorded there in just a couple of sentences. It says, he said to another person, come be my disciple. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Jesus replied, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. So he said to this other person who might have been walking along with them, I don't know. He says, come and be my disciple. And the guy's like, yeah, I agree. He agrees to be his disciple. But he says, Lord first. And I want you to circle those two words, Lord first. Underline them, circle them, whatever makes you happy. See, this guy seems like he's willing to follow Jesus, but now just isn't the best time, okay? I want to put you off for just a little bit. But Lord first, let me go bury my father. And honestly, Jesus' response here seems a little bit harsh at first, doesn't it? Like the guy just wants to go bury his father. That doesn't seem all that unreasonable. But when I did a little digging this week, I realized through a number of different commentaries that all kind of pointed the same direction. You realize that this guy's dad, his parents, were probably not on their way out yet, shall we say. (laughs) They were probably very much alive and well. Head cold, maybe, but that might be the extent of it. And this guy is saying, I want to wait to follow you until my parents are gone. So this is like putting Jesus off for a while, not just like a day or so. This is like a season of life that he's saying, you know what? When I'm free from my responsibilities here with my parents, then I'll be free to be able to go and to follow you. In other words, I just need a little more time. I'm going to put you off until the timing is a little bit better. And again, I look at this story and I think of my own life and I was like, oh my word, how many times have I done that too? 
I'll follow you, but now's just not a really good time. <laughs> going to put you off for a little bit first. How many times have I done the Lord, but first, I'm going to do this. I'll follow you when something else happens or falls into alignment. I know I did this when I was in high school. I tried to make this little deal with God. I'll follow you when I'm out of high school, when peer pressure isn't so strong, and, and I'll have better footing under my feet then. And then I graduated from high school, and guess what? Well, Lord, first, I'll follow you, but first, I need to get my act together a little bit more here. Like, I'm kind of messed up, and I need, feel like I need to meet you at least halfway on this deal. So first, let me get myself cleaned up a little bit. Let me get myself on track a little bit better. Then I'll come and follow you, because it really wouldn't be fair to you if I came to follow you, you now. And then what happens? Well, God, when, when I get married, when life is a little more stable, then I'll be able to go all in. Going to kind of keep you on the side until then, but when I get married and life stabilizes, then, then I'll be all in. Lord, first, I'm going to do this thing, and then we'll get it together. And even in more recent years, I find myself doing versions of this. Like, Lord, first, I'm going to do whatever. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to get more consistent in my time with you when the kids are older. It's just really hard right now because I don't have a good routine and schedule because the kids are young. And so first, let me get my kids grown up a little bit, and then I'm going to be able to go all in and being consistent with you regularly. Or if God asks us to give generously, well, Lord, first, our income needs to increase a little bit before I can really follow through on that kind of commitment to you. There's all of these Lord first. And the scary thing to me is that it's not an outright no. It's, not, it's just a not right now answer, which placates me a little bit. I think we all find ourselves in the same boat. We're not just saying no to Jesus. We're saying not right now. And so we feel a little better about ourselves by saying that because, well, it's not no. I mean, it's not like I'm rejecting Jesus. I'm just saying I need to, I need to wait a little bit till, till the timing is better. There's another great quote in this book, I'm not a fan, which you really should go buy if you get a chance to do that. And it says this, he isn't saying no, he's saying not right now. I suspect there are a lot of fans who feel okay about a half-hearted relationship with Jesus because they have every intention of one day going all in and being completely committed. They don't feel convicted about not following Jesus because in their minds, they know that one day they will. They let themselves off the hook for a lukewarm faith because they didn't tell Jesus no. They're just waiting till later. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? We kind of pacify ourselves with that. But you know what? Judging from Jesus' response to this guy, I don't think he's a fan. <laughs> I don't think he's a fan of excuses because he doesn't look at the guy and say, oh, I get it. I understand. Now's not good timing. Just whenever you're ready. And don't get me wrong, God is incredibly patient with us. It's not like he just writes him off and forever he's done with him. But Jesus is like, no, the time is now. The time is now. Start now, not tomorrow. This isn't like the exercise program that you keep putting off day after day after day. I'll start it tomorrow when it's not raining outside so I can exercise outside. I'll start it tomorrow when I don't have to get up so early. I'll start it tomorrow because I'm going to the Outback for dinner tonight, and that would be kind of counterproductive, right? I'll start it tomorrow, but tomorrow never happens, right? 
We have every intention of getting started, but it never comes. And here's the reality. Nothing ever happens tomorrow. True? You can't do anything tomorrow. (laughs) You can only do today. You can make a commitment that I'm going to do it tomorrow, but you can't ever do anything tomorrow. The only time you can act is right now. The only time any of us can do anything is right now. It is today. And I think we get stuck in this tomorrow thing and we let ourselves off the hook way too easily. And the more that we put Jesus off, the less likely he is to get our attention. It's kind of like a snooze button on an alarm. My roommates in college hated me with the snooze button because I was like the queen of the snooze button and I would set my alarm like an hour before I really needed to get up so that I could keep hitting the snooze. But here's what happened. I first set the alarm and just some soft music would come on and it would wake me up and I'd hit the snooze and hit the snooze and hit the snooze. Well, after a while, I stopped hearing that music. It became old hat to me. So I'd have to turn the music up. So snooze, snooze, snooze. I'd get used to that. By the end, it had escalated so much that I not only had the music full bore volume, but I had the little beep thing at the same time. That thing happening all at the same time. And still, I was able to snooze it and snooze it and snooze it. It stopped getting my attention after a while. Does it ever happen with your relationship with Jesus? (laughs) Put it off, put it off, hit the snooze, hit the snooze, and after a while, it's less likely to get my attention because it's something that I've put off too many times. There's this principle that sociologists refer to. It's called the as-now-so-then principle. And what as-now-so-then says is that our current habits are overwhelmingly the best predictor of our future behavior. The vast majority of time, the decision that we make today is the same decision that we are going to make tomorrow. It's the best predictor, as now, so then. So if we choose not to make that decision today to be an all-in follower, chances are we are not going to make that decision tomorrow either. But the good news is the flip is also true. (laughs) The flip side is also true. If I choose to follow Jesus today, there is a good chance that I'm going to make that same decision tomorrow as well. As now, so then. The time is now. That's another great quote from this book. This one is not in your um, program guide. But if you bought the book, you would be able to read it for yourself sometime. (laughs) The time is now. The day is today. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to surrender my secret sin. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to start being generous to those in need. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to walk across the street and introduce myself to the neighbor. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to check into a mission trip or sign up for a Bible study or volunteer at the shelter or call about being a foster home. Today is the day to start following. Today is the day to start following. And so that's the big question that I want you to consider with this point this morning. What holds me back from following Jesus right now. What's the thing when Jesus says, come and follow me, and you say, well, wait, just because I need to go do this first, what is the thing that holds you back? What's your excuse? What's your snooze button that you keep coming back to? Say, well, it's just not good timing for me yet. 
And again, I'm going to give you a moment to think about this because I don't want these to be questions that are just theory. I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to let you think about it. There's going to be silence for a couple seconds. It's okay. Silence can be our friend. So think about it and jot something down. What holds me back from following Jesus right now? Well, finally, if I believe Jesus is enough, I will follow him whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. So there's the last guy in this passage that we're looking at this morning that another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this conversation seems a little similar to the one just happened, that happened just right before it, right? Because he's saying, yes, I'll follow you, but first. So he's kind of doing that excuse thing. But this guy isn't asking for just a quick goodbye. Jesus' response to this guy is a little bit different. So I know that there's something different that we can learn here from this guy. Because this guy is just not asking for the quick goodbye. In that culture, this would have been a long and drawn-out process. You know what the goodbye tour is like, right? You go to a party, and when it's time to leave, you don't just walk out the door, say later, and leave. Well, some of you men do, but, you know, it's not the way you're supposed to. You have to do the goodbye tour, right? You have to go to the hostess, and you have to tell her, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. It was lovely. Thank you. The food was great. You have to stop and see the other people that you visited with that evening and let them know that you really had a good time catching up with them. You hope to see them again. You have to make the goodbye tour. You don't just walk out the door, right? And it's biblical, ladies. We have biblical proof right here. It was cultural practice (laughs) to do the goodbye tour, not just later. I'm kidding on that. It's not biblical. It's just what we do. But in that culture, there was something called, well, they didn't call it the goodbye tour, but in that culture, that's what they did. When someone was getting ready to leave an area, there was like a grander scale goodbye tour of leaving the area. There would have been parties and banquets, and this would have drawn out for weeks, maybe even months, that this guy would have been in the process of saying goodbye to his family. And so Jesus looks at him when he says he wants to say goodbye to his family, and he says, But if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fitting for the kingdom. Essentially what Jesus is saying, if you set out to work with me and then keep looking back at what's behind you instead of setting your sights ahead to what's in front of you, you're not fit to work with me. In other words, you need to be fully focused on what's coming ahead. No split priorities, no split affections. You need to be fully focused on what's coming ahead, not one eye here and one eye behind you. If you want to follow me, this is what it's going to take, full forward focus, not split affections. I read an interesting anecdote this week about the Knights of Templar, and the Knights of Templar were um, Christian warriors from the Crusades, 12th to 14th century, and the thing that was interesting to me about these knights is that What they would do when they were baptized is they would be baptized with their sword in their hand. But when they were dunked under the water, instead of taking the sword down with them, they would hold their sword up above their head so that every other part of their body was baptized except their sword. And the message was this, God, I will follow you except on the battlefield. The sword, this is mine. 
You're not taking this? And in their minds, it was this declaration of warrior and this is my thing, strength. But what they were saying is that you can have every part of me except this. I'm holding this back from you. And I read that story and I thought, oh my goodness, what would be my thing? When I would get dunked under the water, what would be my thing? That I'd be holding up and saying, God, you can have every other part, but not this. Would it be my reputation? Would it be my security? God, I want to hang on to this. I'm going to have one eye back on that. Hand to the plow here, but I've got to hang on to this thing here. Maybe it would be my kids. God, I want, I want, I want control there. <laughs> this is too important to me to let go of. What would be my thing that I would hold up out of the water? I remember some years ago, my oldest son was just a toddler, preschooler age, and uh, I was making dinner one night in the kitchen, and the dining room is, was right next to the kitchen um, in another room, and I heard him pull a chair out from the table, and I heard him climb up on the table, and next thing you know, I heard the familiar clink of M&Ms against the side of the ceramic candy dish, where I knew what he was doing. He had climbed up there to grab some M&Ms. And so I went out to him and I said, buddy, you can't have those now because I'm making dinner and I have some good stuff to give you and you can't eat the M&Ms now. You need the healthy stuff, the good stuff that I have to give you first. Maybe later we'll have some of those, but right now you need to put them back. And so he's holding these M&Ms and I said, you need to put them back. And so he takes one hand and he empties his hand out, drops them back. And I looked at him and I said, did you give me all of them? And he says, "Uh uh-huh. And he puts one hand behind his back, "Uh uh-huh. I said, well, then what's in that hand? He just stares at me. I said, I need what's in the other hand, too. I need all of them. And eventually he pulled his hand out, and at this point it's like this big mucky mess. Melt in your mouth, not in your hand. It's a lie, people. It is not true melted mess all over the place that we ended up having to go and clean off. But he had this thing that he wanted to hold on to. I think maybe he didn't trust me that it was going to be enough, that he had to hold some back for himself just in case I didn't give him those M&Ms after dinner. And I was like, but buddy, you need both hands empty. You need both hands to be emptied because we're going to have something good in those hands in just a little bit. And I have to wonder how many times am I like the kid with the M&Ms in my hands? And God's saying, I have good stuff to give you. There's a good meal coming for you. You got to put the junk down first. And so I give him one. And he says, did you give it all? And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. He says, what about that? What's behind your back? What's that thing that you're still holding on to? And there's a thousand different things that we could hold on to behind our back, right? It could literally be food. (laughs) I'm going to hang on to this because this is comfort for me. I don't really trust that you're enough to be the comfort that I need. So this is the thing that I'm going to hold on to for myself just in case you're not enough. Maybe the thing that we hold on to is our entertainment choices because we're like, I don't know that you're going to be enough to satisfy all my desires. So I want to hang on to this thing right here in my hand. Or maybe it's a relationship that we're like, Jesus, I don't know that you're enough to center my life around. I want to hang on to this relationship here because 
this person's really important to me. And I don't know if I can make you the focus of my life. I want to hang on to this. Or maybe it's money that we're hanging on to, saying, I don't know, Jesus, if you're enough to be the security that I need. I don't know if you're going to be enough for me in that, so I'm going to hang on to this just, just in case. Just in case I need a little in reserve, because maybe, maybe you're not enough. Maybe you're not going to give me this later. But judging by Jesus' response to this guy, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. He's saying, I'm not okay with split affections. I'm not okay with it being partially me and partially this other thing that you're holding on to. The split allegiance thing, it's not going to work. And I know that we've used this illustration before, but I think it warrants repeating because it, it just says it so well. It's like a marriage relationship that is meant to be exclusive. If when Scott asked me to marry him, he said, honey, I want to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But by the way, I'm going to keep this other girlfriend on the side just in case this doesn't work out completely. I'm going to have this in reserve in case you're not quite enough for me. If I don't get all of what I need here in this relationship, I'm going to have this little thing on the side. What would have I said? No way. There's no possible way I would go into a marriage relationship like that. No self-respecting person would. It's all of me or none of me. I'm not going to go down that road with you with split affections. I'll make the decision really, if you can't choose between me or her, I'm going to make that decision really easy for you. (laughs) That's why I don't understand shows like The Bachelor. I'm like, ladies, what are you thinking? If it's that hard for him to decide which one of you he wants, make the decision easy for him. You deserve to be the full focus of his attention if you're going to get into that marriage relationship. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Exclusive. Full focus. Not me and this other thing that you're holding on to. That's not the kind of relationship I'm asking. I'm saying, will you follow me exclusively? Not holding something in reserve. Not if this doesn't work out over here. Follow me. I'm going to be enough for you. Last quote that I want to read you from this book that did I mention I think you should pick up sometime. Says this The reason that Jesus is so adamant about followers surrendering everything is because the reality is this the one thing we are most reluctant to give up is the one thing that has the most potential to become a substitute for him. I'm going to read that line again. The reality is this the one thing we are most reluctant to give up is the one thing that has the most potential to become a substitute for him. What we're really talking about here is idolatry. When we are following Jesus who is ahead of us, but find ourselves looking behind us, we are revealing that we are substituting something or someone for him. And Jesus is saying it's not going to work that way. I need to be enough for you. And yes, he understands that we're not going to be perfect at it all the time. And there's grace that covers that, but we need to go into it saying, Jesus, you are are enough. I'm going to let go of this thing that I've been holding onto. Open hands for you. And so the big question that I'd like you to consider with this point is what am I unwilling to let go of? What's that thing when Jesus says, did you give it all to me? 
that you want to go, uh-huh, and hide it behind your back? What's that thing that you have the hardest time letting go of? Because you're not sure if Jesus is enough and you need Jesus and that thing. What are you hanging on to? You know, as we close this message today in the series, really, I want to pull us back to the big question that really matters. And the truth is that all of us, one day, will stand before Jesus. And the only question that's going to matter is, was I enough for you? Was I enough for you? Was I enough to be your savior? Was I enough to be your provider? Was I enough to be your friend? Was I enough for you? Was I enough? And I so badly want to be able to stand in front of Jesus and look him square in the eyes and be able to say, yes, Jesus, you are enough for me. You're enough. On the final day, that's the question that's going to matter. And so I want to ask you that today. Is Jesus enough for you to be willing to follow him? Will you be a follower of Jesus? And I don't want this just to be this emotional decision that we make on a Sunday morning that we generally like the idea of saying, yes, Jesus, you are enough. I want this to be specific. The Bible tells us to count the cost. If you say you're going to be a follower of Jesus, count the cost. What is it going to cost you? And then tell me if you're in or not. So will you be a follower? And as you decide the answer to that question, I want you to look back at those three questions that we asked ourselves this morning. What is the place where it's most difficult for me to follow him? What am I holding on to that I'm unwilling to let go of? Or what's holding me back right now? from following Jesus. Ask yourself specifically those questions. Am I willing to follow Jesus even in those places? Will you be a follower? Is Jesus enough for you? Let's pray. Jesus, we don't want to offer you empty promises or hollow words this morning because you deserve so much more than that. We don't want to just generally like the idea of following you. We want to consider what it really costs and then make a commitment to believe that you are enough. So God, I ask that today you work in our hearts and in our minds to show us what it means to follow you wherever you go, practically and specifically And when you ask us, what about there? What about in that place? We want to be ready to say yes. Yes, even there, I am ready to follow you. And Jesus, we want to follow you whenever you call. No more excuses. No more snooze buttons. No more tomorrows. Show us what's holding us back so that we can say yes, I will follow you whenever you call. And God, we want to follow you whatever the cost. We want to pull our hands from behind our our backs and open our palms wide so that you can give us everything we need. So that we can let go of what we've been holding on to so tightly, the things that have been splitting our affections between you and me (laughs) and this world. 
We want to let go of those things. Today, Jesus, we want our hearts to be convinced that you are enough. Enough for every part of my life. Jesus, we declare today that we believe in you and you are enough. Amen.
are just beautiful words to sing as we bring this sermon series to a close. Jesus, you are more than enough for me. And I'd like you all to, I'd like you all to sing with us here. Maybe you want to rise to your feet and make this a declaration today. And if you're not a singer, you don't have to sing out loud, but you can sing these words in your heart. And sing with us. All of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all i have in you is more than You can be seated. You know, we have about nine minutes and 30 seconds to go in this service. I know that because I have a little agenda over there that has everything timed out. But you know, God's timing is perfect. And it may be just so that in the last nine minutes and 30 seconds of a series that has started at Easter up till now, that this is the time for God to talk to you. Maybe everything's been leading up to this moment for you and you've been holding back. What's the question this morning? What does it involve? Is it a matter of location? Will you follow Jesus wherever? Is it a matter of timing? Will you follow him now? Or will you keep putting him off? Or maybe it's a matter of control. You're holding something behind your back or above your head that you won't allow to be baptized and controlled by him. So what is it for you today? I was convicted by the short story about the snooze button. And I wondered to myself this question. Have I simply been hitting the snooze when it comes to listening to the voice of Jesus? Am I deadening the work of the Holy Spirit? In the next nine minutes and 30 seconds, you can open up your ears because the Word of God says this, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Jesus will give you His light. So in the next nine minutes or so, if you'd like to stand to your feet and walk out any time and be prayed for in the green room by somebody, you may have never done that before, but you want to say to God today, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. You spoke something to me today about control or location. You spoke a word to me today. And I'm going to follow you wherever, whenever, And to whomever you call me to go to. Because I'm going to be covered in your dust from now on. You're my my leader. You're my rabbi. You have the words of life for me. Well, I took up some of your nine minutes right there. In 30 seconds. So time's running. Take the time. 
And if you feel so compelled, record something on here so that our prayer partners and our staff can pray for you this week and deposit it in the box as you go. But more importantly, make the most of these moments to hear his voice through song, through prayer, through silence and stillness, or by raising your heart up to him. Listen to his voice right now.